going here this morning with Matthew chapter 28. So what I want to do today is briefly share with you what I think and what I think the Bible thinks and what God would have for us this year to make it a great year. And that's the title of this sermon, in fact, is A Great Year. (laughs) A Great You. And as you can see here, On Living a Great Life. And so we're going to begin here with a classic text in Matthew chapter 28. And we're actually going to park in Matthew for the rest of our time. So we'll be flipping a little bit, but we'll all be in Matthew uh, the whole time. Notice these words. Um, And before I do, I want to... I want to just sort of proclaim this, if I will, right here at the beginning and say this. The Lord of hosts has planned and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? If God is for us, who is against us? So, O oh God, You have always been and will always be for us. Take our hands and keep us with you always. Amen. Let us read here from the Word of God in Matthew 28, starting with 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." How can we live a great life? Well, the first thing is to live for the Great Commission. If you want to live for something great, then live for the Great Commission. Notice these words as we look at the text here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. That's our starting place. That's a pretty good place to start from, isn't it? I mean, I personally don't know anyone that would claim, it'd be nice if I had them in my family, to have even authority over a state, much less a nation, much less the world, the universe. Even beyond the universe, Christ has authority over all things, seen and unseen. And that's a great starting place. I think that's a good place to insert an amen there, right? I mean, with that kind of leader, what is there to fear? Who would draw his hand back if he put it out? No one is the point. No one. And so what kind of authority does Jesus have? All authority. (laughs) In other words, think up a kind of authority. He's got it. He's got the authority over nature commanding the wind and the waves. 
and he has authority over humanity. He has authority over our enemies. And he must have authority in the chambers of our heart. He may have, in some generalized way, authority over all things, but if that authority doesn't reside in our own hearts, we're still yet in our sins. And we must not be. We don't have to be. For all authority has been given Him. There should be no locked doors in our life. The whole house, the whole temple is His. Now, also here, check this out. It says, as you go, make disciples. In the Greek, therefore, therefore, uh, it said, go therefore, in the Greek, is this idea of, as you are going, make disciples. In other words, it's not the idea that you have to be weird about it and go throughout all of your neighborhood knocking on doors, cold turkey, telling people that they're going to hell. Can everybody just kind of, good, I'm glad we don't have to do that. I'm glad I don't have to be fired from my work, right? No, it's something, get this, more difficult than knocking cold turkey on a door and quickly asking someone, heaven or hell, which is it? That's easy. What's difficult is living it out day by day in our homes, in our cul-de-sac, in our neighborhood, in our workspaces, in the spaces in which we play, raise our kids, and go to church. That's more difficult to live out the faith there and to be a witness there and make disciples there. But the Scripture is clear. As you are going in your life, make disciples. That means even on vacation. That means even on holidays. For as you are going, make disciples. This is what Jesus did, isn't it? As He was going, He made disciples. He did not see opportunities like I do often, where I get angry at someone and get sideways and bent out of shape and lose control of what God sees. What God sees is an opportunity to trust Him. What God sees is an opportunity to pray for a broken person. Too quickly, we're concerned with our kingdom rather than God's kingdom. And it must not be so, brothers and sisters. It must not be if He is the one who has all authority. It starts at home, but it mustn't stay there. We must be witnesses. Literally, the term witnesses in Greek is martyrs. For the faith. Now, make disciples. Notice, it doesn't just happen, does it? You don't don't just one day accidentally become a disciple of Jesus. You remember, there are some people who come to Jesus several times in the Gospels, and they want to almost haphazardly become a part of the bandwagon, right? He's got this group of people who are following Him, who are impressed by Him, who are genuinely even following Jesus. And they say, hey, I want to be a part of that. And he says, no, you don't. What do you mean? Well, I don't have anywhere to lay my head today. Are you down with that? 
well, I mean, I kind of have a house and everything. Okay, well, there you go. Counted the cost. It wasn't enough. Was not willing to pay it. Jesus turns away followers at times in the Gospels, which is almost backwards to the way we think about it. He's not begging people. He doesn't go around saying, please follow me. Does he? Why would we? We're not begging. We're proclaiming. But so many of us live in sin and doubt and fear and unbelief that we can't proclaim. Go to the next slide. You can't see this well, but what it says here, let me pull it up, because I can't see it well either. <laughs> I'm going to get really close. <laughs> wow, that's a little bitty writing. Um, it's a good thing I have the drive account because, man, I don't, I don't know how people lived before they had drive accounts. Thanks, Google. Um, so, 1% of people, this is a study that was done by Seedbed, and they've got a lot of trustworthy stuff. 1% of people are unaware of sin. That, that's good news. <laughs> 1% of people are unaware of sin. <clears throat> that's, that's good news because sin's kind of most the, the most apparent thing in our world. <laughs> uh, G.K. Chesterton once said that sin is the most verifiably provable thing in the world, empirically. Anyway, uh, so if you're unaware of sin, you've got some really bad problems. <laughs> I don't even know where we'd begin. So, 16% of people, 16% of people are indifferent to sin. In other words, they, yeah, I mean, okay, it's there, yeah, I'm I'm a sinner. Eh, just kind of mentality of, eh, that's what indifferent is. Apathetic toward it, could care less. 39% of people worry about sin. It's just like, man... Oh, my wife doesn't find out. Man, I know that's hurting my children, but I hope my job doesn't find out. They worry about it. That's a good, that's a good thing. 9% of people are forgiven for sin. So they feel forgiven. That, that's, that's great. 24% of people are involved in faith activities. So not only forgiven, but they've taken the next step and say, I want to actually... I know I'm forgiven, so I'm ready to get involved. I would love other people to be forgiven as well. I'd love to serve the poor, etc. And so that brings us to a number of 89% of people are in the, which is the bulk of, you know, people, are parked right there in one of those areas on this scale. But I got news for you. That's not all of the gospel that I read about. Anybody else with me? No, there is more to the gospel than just being forgiven of sin and serving in your local church. Did you know that? It's my fault, partially if you don't, so I need to know. (laughs) When we speak of life in the Spirit, when we talk about being guided by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, entire sanctification having a single focus, having no longer a double mind, 
but a unified mind because you're unified in the Spirit. You are one with God, one with others. That's a whole other ballgame. And that ballgame can't even get started until you are forgiven of your sin and begin to try to serve others. Because quite frankly, no one can even be aware of certain sins until they try to serve their brother or their sister. And then things start coming to the surface and you say to yourself, what in the world? I thought we left Egypt and God says you did leave Egypt, but you still have Egypt sin within you. And it's lurking. And it will take over if it's not killed. And many people just live in this cycle of being forgiven and trying to do their best. Being forgiven and trying to do their best. Our best is never enough. We're not ever, Jesus never says, guys, just do your best. He's not a motivational speaker like that. Instead, he says this, if you want to follow me, you'll deny yourself, take up your cross, and you'll follow me. That's, that's not believing in yourself. Is it? God forbid. God forbid. It's the crucifixion of self. The flesh, the old man, as the scriptures would translate that idea. Now, (laughs) only, what is that, 11% seem to make it into some other type of Christian life. And and we think, we think those people, when we see them, we think they're the deluxe version. You know what I mean? Does anybody know what I mean by that? Like we, we think the simple verse, oh yeah, you gotta be forgiven of your sins, and that's normal Christianity is to struggle and to do this and, and, and never have this crucifixion of the self. We think, oh, that's normal Christianity. That is not normal Amen. Christianity. Normal Christianity is to be crucified with Christ. No longer I am living, but Christ in me. We shrug it off as if, oh yeah, well, he's got time for that. Or she has time to be holy. Can I remind you of something? All authority, including time, has been given to Jesus. What are you doing with his time? Now I'm here asking some questions. But understand always, I've already been asked these questions before I ever had to give this, right? So... If you feel like repenting, that's a good thing. I've already done it. I'm ahead of you. Just by a smidge. 6% of people actually become what he calls, uh, this is J.D. Walt, who you've read before in some of our, one of our devotionals, holy discontent. In other words, you know there's more and you are seeking it. You, you know there's more. You know this is not normal Christianity. You know there's victory. You know it. You can feel it. But you don't have it yet. And then there's being 3%, only 3% of people feel like they're right now, you know, any given time, broken by God. Because again, you're broken. You say, man, I was broken when I came to Him and and confessed my sins and repented of my sin and was saved, gloriously saved and forgiven. Yes, you were broken there. And there must be another breaking. A deeper one. For 
The Holy Spirit alone reveals what's in man. Not us. We think we know. It's all on the table. Lord, thank you. There's things lurking in here. I couldn't even imagine. 1% of people are surrendered and submitted to God. So they've they've surrendered and they've submitted to God. 1%. And then you get down to 0.5 and 0.5. (laughs) 1%. And what those two are? First one is profound love for God. When you look at someone, you say, they have a profound love for God that's evident. And the last point five, probably the toughest, a profound love for other people. Two greatest commandments. One percent in his study of measuring out those metrics. I think he's right. But he will say, and I'm proclaiming too, that the rest of the gospel that we're missing is the best of the gospel. Let's be the 1%. (laughs) You know, they talk about the 1% in tax codes. I want to be the 1% in God's economy. I want to have a profound love for God that consumes everything that I do. In other words, you couldn't pull one thing out in my life that God is not also interconnected with and has authority over. In other words, if he says, Marshall, I want you to put that down. I put it down. Because why? I'm crucified with Christ. Is there something you're holding on to that if he were to tell you to put it down, you wouldn't? Is there something you're trusting in? Don't trust in that. It'll kill you. You can't take it to heaven. Hit the next slide there, friend. (laughs) Notice this. And as we've been saying, disciples are not just accidentally made. It's on purpose. It's intentional. And we are called to make disciples. Be... (laughs) You know... The saints are playing, let's be, let's be clear, okay, today. And, I, and I'm excited about that. I've got my Florida Lee, uh, what do you call these things, cuffs on. I've got a old, the oldest saint shirt I got, you know, on as my undershirt, all right? So I'm, even though I'm not going to get to watch the game and stuff, I'm, I'm rooting for them, okay? And, and this is great. But you know what? Drew Brees would tell you this. Um, I've got his autograph and met him, so I know. <laughs> Champions aren't born. They are made. They are made. Disciples, get this, are not born. They are born again. Yes. You're not, no one in all, since, since Adam and Eve, no one is born a disciple. We must be born again. Hallelujah. We must be born again, friend. Born of what? The Spirit. The headship of Jesus, not of Adam. Our mother, the church, not Eve. 
That's who we're born of. And we must get our nourishment from her. We are born into a family with a heavenly Father. That's good news. I mean, I have a great personal father, so I know what that is like in a family. I know how much joy it brings and, and security to know who I am and know that he loves me no matter what. And I've tested that. And guess what? He still loves me. And when you test the heavenly father, he still loves you. He's like the prodigal son story father. And He's waiting. He's watching. And as soon as you start coming toward Him, He's coming toward you. Because He always has been. We're born of the Spirit. That's the kind of born that we are. Teaching them. A disciple is one who is disciplined and taught. A disciple makes disciples. So a disciple is following and being followed. Who are you following? Or have, you not, or have you not submitted yourself to anyone? You say to me right now, who have you submitted yourself to? I can tell you right now, at least three people. Every single week, I'm submitting myself to one of them. So I'm on like a two-week, every other week, one group, and then it, regularly. Why? Because that's what a disciple does. If you're not telling somebody, look, I can't see all of what I am. I need help. You're certainly not the 1%, which is normal Christianity. It's what we were created for. Teaching them what? To observe, to have faith. That's what that term observe means, is to see. It literally, it's to see. Teach you. I, Jessica can tell you probably best. The Lord has helped me to see. And yet, it scares me because I look back just, just 10 years. Just 10 years. And I see how much I didn't see then that I see now. Which means how much more are these blind spots in my life? God help us. We need to cry out for His help to help us see. Amen? Faith. We're talking about faith in a world that is consumed with material goods and services and convenience, luxury, feasting. I'll be the first to tell you it's hard for me to push away from the table. We must deny ourselves. It's not just the table. It's a lot of things we need to push ourselves away from. And in baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, in the name, notice, in His authority. When, when we did that to those precious children the other week, when we've done it here at our church, baptize, it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All authority is pressed down on those persons. And us. That's <laughs> nothing you can make up. I don't know. That's just cr- crazy to me. Like, I get excited about stuff like that. Oh, 
I got a wedding today. I'm, I'm excited about that. Why? Because something eternal is happening. Why would I miss the end of the Saints game? Because there's something eternal happening there. I don't care what kind of trophy you make. It's going to be burned up in the end. But not the unity of husband and wife. Not the picture it's pointing to, which is our unity with Christ. Man, I just... Somebody's going to have to like, hey, bro, chill out, you know? So, how does this happen at Harvest Point? All that stuff right there. Well, I'm glad you asked that. It happens through evangelism, which we support in our budget. I'm about to share it with you. Discipleship, which we do here. HP Kids, HP Youth, all our small groups. That's how. The second thing, go to Matthew 22, if you will, quickly. Notice this, Matthew, or you can just listen. Matthew 22, 36-40 says this. And it's, there's so much to go over, I'm not even going to try. But, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is very clear. Just about need to read this alone. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the, in other words, the whole Torah, the whole Old Testament. That's what that term means there. The whole Old Testament hangs on those two things. <laughs> Did you know that we're called to the beauty of holiness? Holiness is beautiful. I haven't always been able to see it. I'll be the first to tell you. I've seen the things of the world as more beautiful than God. I've longed for the things of the world rather than the holiness of God. And God has forgiven me of that. He is constantly helping me to see the beauty in even ashes. Much less in His beautiful creation, morning by morning. But we are called to the beauty of holiness. We are not called to make the world a better place. If you think that's what we're trying to do here at Harvest Point, we're not just trying to make the world a better place. No, we are called to make the world a beautiful space for God and His glory. Not just better, beautiful. Not just putting lipstick on a pig. Transformation. That's, that's different, you understand. It's not cover-up. This is, the, this is not a cover-up where we all just kind of dress up and say, yeah, we really did something for humanity because everybody looked nice and moral. That's not the Gospel. Does anybody understand what I'm saying right here? It's very important. We're not just putting lipstick on something and saying, yeah, just try to be better. And that's how we better the place. No, that's what the enemy would have us do is all look the part and be dead people inside. That was the Pharisees. He says, you are like a tomb. You look great on the outside, flowers and smell good. Inside, dead man's bones. Don't play that game. 
I'm not wanting to play in 2019 a game of religion. I'm only going for Jesus. I'm in it only for Him. And I'm going to guard that vision and that mission with all of my might. With the authority of Christ Himself. Because guess what? One day I'm going to have to stand. I am, not you. I'm going to have to stand. And He's going to say, what did you do for my people? Now you got your own standing to do, but I got my standing to do. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to let him down because he's a good father. It's not by compulsion. It's by his free gift that I gladly say yes to his mission. Yes to his church. Yes to you. And trust me, I haven't always been a great pastor. I'm not even a great pastor now. But I'm his son. Amen. And I got to do my best to do what I can. And I can't do everything. You already know that. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that. And that's okay, because you can't do everything either. (laughs) So we're in the same boat. That's why we need each other. That's why he says the church is like a building. Sorry about that online. I had to take a swig of water. My online, you know, folks, they're, they're out there somewhere. I wish you would actually write to me, by the way. You, you have our contact if you are listening. <laughs> you laugh, but I've looked at the statistics. It's all over the world. They, they, they certainly could write. I would love to hear from somebody, you know. So, Anyway, all right. We may not be able to decorate the whole cosmos, but here's what we can do. We can decorate the room we have, right? The space that we've been given, our lot in life. Can't we make it beautiful? We look at the words, oh, it's such a garbage place. Okay, but what are you doing about it where you are? Let's not live in garbage. Let us create something beautiful. Let, let God take you up in His arms and dream with you about what that is. That's what Jack and Carrie are talking about. There's some of you, there are some missions that are not even created yet because it's lodged somewhere in you and you won't say yes. God's wanting to do something money-wise even at our church. But you won't say yes. It's 100% His. I'm talking about time, money, resources, gifts, abilities, lot in life. And one day we're going to stand before Him. It's not a joke. It's reality. And and here's the reality. He can say to us in that moment, when when I know I haven't given Him my all. I mean, I've kept a lot of money that He's given me and used it for my family and myself and all that. And He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because He doesn't just look on the outside. He knows our heart. That's good for those who are in Christ. And it's bad for those who are not. Because He knows what's in your heart. If you're playing a game or not, He knows it. I may not know it. He knows. In other words, we can actually live a beautiful life. We can make things beautiful. My, My daughter, Blakely, tries to do this. She, I, I realized I was, fl- I was trying to design a business card for myself because I don't have one and, and with our new address and all this. And it's just such a headache. I just gave up on it. But 
I started, I started looking through everybody else's business cards that, that have been given to me. You know what I mean? I'm just like, and, and, and every single business card that I had, which most of them weren't impressive at all, had pink coloring on it. Why? Because my daughter likes to beautify things in our house, including the wall, including our Wi-Fi extender. She, if, it's, if it's drab, she's going to color beauty into it. And I think that's the kind of childlike faith that the Lord wants, isn't it? Because guess what? I'm not erasing that. I'm not taking it off the wall. Jessica can if she wants to. To me, it's beautiful. She tried to beautify our home. You know what? Even in our best efforts, it's just coloring on the wall. I think I did a great job, and it's just scribbling on the wall in reality. But it's beautiful to our Father in heaven when it comes from our heart. And you can see why it's bad when we're just faking it. Don't fake it. You don't have to. You don't have to. I've done that before. Don't. 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 That's what loving God is. That's what letting the beauty of holiness loose in your life is. We are image bearers. We are made to love God. Instead, we choose to love ourselves. And there is a place for self-love, but not selfishness. I like the, the saying, you don't have to think uh, less of yourself to be humble. My grandpa used to say that, actually. One of the most humble men I knew. Now he's struggling with Alzheimer's. He doesn't know who he is or who I am or anybody in the family. He said, no, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself and thinking less of yourself in the sense of time. We're not consumed. We ought not be consumed with always how people view us or this or that. That's selfishness. A humble person thinks of God first and then others. See, there's a fake concern for others too that's out there. That is not of God. The best test that we have to know that we love God is love for other people. Yes. Once we start trying to love other people, I can guarantee you, you got to be like, God, I need some help. How did you do this yourself? Why in the world did you become a human and get involved with people like Peter? You know? Everybody's got some, somebody like Peter in their life. Everybody's got a Judas in their life. But also everybody's got a John. And everybody's got a Peter that is just waiting to be redeemed. What is love of self? Oh, are we there? Yeah, good. Loving self. I feel like I'm in class now all of a sudden. <laughs> it's who you say I am. That's what loving self is. It's loving who God says you are. Not who you say you are. Yes. Not who somebody else says you are. But who God says you are. 
But so many of us, we're so stopped up with the world. We're only looking at what the world tells us we are and what other people are and what we're missing and all that. I want to be, I'm being honest right now. I want to be, not that I'm not always trying to be honest, but I want to be known by God and that be enough. I think it was Woodrow Wilson or somebody that said, one of our presidents, something to this effect. We could get a lot done if nobody cared who got the glory. Amen. I may even apply to our current situation. Um, but isn't that true in the church as well? If you didn't get any recognition, would you do it? Is God alone? Is, is, is Him knowing? Is that enough? Or are we doing it to show other people? Or even show ourselves? You see how sick that is? We don't have to do that. We can be healed of that. Thanks be to God we can be healed of that. We can only be concerned with who He says you are. Who He says I am. That doesn't mean remaining in our sin. Oh no. He would never do it. No loving father would do that, would they? Continue to let my precious child run around with a sharp knife? God forbid! No, He's a good Father, which means He disciplines us. Lord, we need Your discipline. I need Your discipline, Lord. It's always the saints of God, I've noticed, who are down here at the altar crying out to God for help. That goes for me growing up in church and being at this church. It's always the saints of God who consistently bow before their Creator and say, I can't do this. I need your help. Because that's what a saint is. A holy person. Well, the last thing to a great life is not only the great commission and the great commandment, but the great commitment. And this is a commitment that Jesus Himself made. I want to direct your attention to Matthew 20. Just hear these words. You can look it up later and see it for yourself. But hear these words as the Word of God to you and me this morning. But Jesus called them to Him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, a misuse of authority. It shall not be so among you. This is, this is right on the tail end, by the way, of uh, the workers in the vineyard story. And where, they, where they're like, hey, I want to sit on your right hand. And I want to be on your left hand. And they get their mother to ask to get it done. And he says, it shouldn't be so among you. But whoever would be great, don't you want to be great in 2019? I want to be great in 2019. Whatever the opposite is, is bad, I would imagine. Whoever wants to be great among you must be servant. Your servant. (laughs) And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. Serve and give your life away for others. That's what the great commitment is. We do that here at Harvest Point by serving in the church and outside these walls. That's our ministries 
and our mission. That's all kind of summed up in, in our missions. Well, you forgot to ask about how to be a great commandment in our church, right? So how do, you, how do we do this at Harvest Point, the previous one? Well, I'm so glad you asked, even after the fact. Two ways, worship and fellowship. Now, for this one, how do we do this? How do we live a great life, servant and slave? I, mean, I, I put this Latin word in there, religare, and uh, it's too much to get into right now. But how do we be bound to Christ? That's what religion means, actually, is to be bound. That's what that term means. How can we bind ourselves to Him? Because that's what He's done to us, isn't it? God, who was spirit, God the Son becomes flesh for all time and binds Himself to humanity forever. He bound Himself to us. We bind ourselves to others. That means we don't give up on people. Amen. Even for a lifetime, we don't give up on people. You don't give up on yourself either. I don't, I don't care how many times you failed God. Seek His forgiveness. every single time He will forgive you. I'm doing a sermon series at some point this year on Jonah. That's what he hated so much was that God was this dirty forgiver. Didn't matter who you are or what you did or how many times you did it, He was going to do it. He was going to forgive. Thanks be to God He does. Because this guy right here, my path to that throne is more worn than yours. As Paul would say, chief of sinners. Hello. Are we serving anybody in our life? God forbid we'd look for a position in the church to serve before we could could serve our family. Paul forbids that actually and says, if you can't serve and lead in your family, forget it in the church. Not happening. If it's not happening at home, it's not going to be happening here. He gave His life. Now it's time for us to give ours. Are you giving your life away to things that are eternal? I know work is calling, and there's always more work to do. There's always more money to be made. But what about the kingdom? Have we so easily let the concerns of this life tangle us up? It's time to be free. 2019, if you want to live a great life, you've got to serve. And some of you are doing that in amazing ways that humbles me. I look to you as a holy person in our church. That's not a joke. It's not some PR thing that somebody told me to say to get you to serve. No, your service in the church humbles me. Some of you, the way you're serving, in ways that no one is even seeing. I know you're not in it for your glory. And that just makes somebody like me excited. We've got a lot of great stuff happening. There's so much more to come. Now, I list out five things. Missions, worship, fellowship, evangelism, discipleship. Our budget, that is our budget. So I'm not trying to shorten our annual church conference. I'm certainly not giving it here at the altar call. But... I'm telling you that our church is of the mindset that we want to fund what changes the world. What makes this place great 
and beautiful. That's what we're doing at Harvest Point. That's the kind of stuff we're concerned with. You'll see that in just a minute. But before we do, let me just ask you, are you living this great life that is before us, that is offered to us? I haven't always lived it, and I've had to repent. And He's restored me every single time. He's that good. It's crazy how good He is. Today you can repent. You can confess. And you can start pursuing the best of the gospel. Normal Christianity. That ends in love. That ends in a profound love for God and other people. Man, what if we had that here in even 50% of our membership? And I think all of the seeds are there. And I know that the Holy Spirit is more than willing. And I'm ready today to say, I want to be one of the 50%. I want to be the 100%. We're not going to stop until it is 100%. Or He comes back. Man, that's exciting. I, you know, I don't know if um, what you heard, because the Spirit speaks things to us that I don't say, but... I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. So join us as we journey with Christ. Follow us at Harvest Point as we follow Christ. What will happen? Joy, peace, gifts of the Spirit, life in the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, love, unity, family, purpose, and a host of other things. In short, salvation will come to your house today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.